Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. When this episode comes out, we will still be on a cruise. Why do you have to brag? I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, look at how far ahead we are. Why are we going on a vacation? Because it's our anniversary. Yeah, that's it. How many years have we been married? 14. No, it's more than that. 17. Is it 17? Yes, 17 years. 17 glorious years uh-huh. without a single disagreement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does anybody believe that? <laughs> no way. And today that we're recording is our two-year podcast anniversary. And it's our anniversary. And it's our anniversary yeah. today when we're it's recording. When we're recording this, it's our actual anniversary. People have already shut off this. Probably. They don't care. Nobody Probably. cares. I'm excited we made it two years. I didn't even know if we were going to make it past 10 episodes. Good job. Well done. High five. Click. I can only high five you with my left hand. Yeah, Daniel's injured at the moment. No, I'm not. I have nine fingers now. He screwed through one of his fingers. No, I drilled through my finger. It I- went in one end and went out the other. Yeah, it missed the bone, sort of. So it went in like the pad or the fingerprint of my first finger on my right hand. And the then meat. came out the side. It was fast. It was fine. I'll be okay. Well, people have definitely turned this off. So let's get into factoids. Daniel, you got some factoids for me? This is from BuzzFeed. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this titled, Men are sharing their guy secrets that women don't know about, and now I have several follow-up questions. That's just what the title was. Maybe women don't know about. You probably know all this stuff. I'm just saying it was interesting, so it'll be funny for our mostly female audience, I would assume, because no guy wants to listen to me. No. Okay, here we go. Guy secrets. We will never forget getting a compliment. I used the same conditioner until it went out of production because somebody told me my hair felt soft and smelled nice. Mm. We're very simple. Yeah, you are. That's it. So if you give a guy like a compliment and he just kind of disregards it, he actually is going to keep replaying that compliment in his head and he will stick to that until something else replaces it. So that makes a lot of sense. Very sweet. All right, here we go. This is the part people really want to hear. Sometimes when it's up, it's not because we're horny. But don't let that stop you, queen. (laughs) (laughs) It's 100% true. Yes. We don't really have control over it. I think women think we do and we don't. says, conversely, sometimes when it's not up doesn't mean we're not horny. Give a brother a minute to relax and pitch the dang tent. Of course. There you go. Dudes can be friends for years and not know each other's real name. I love that, actually. 
Sometimes that male confidence that you find attractive is us totally faking it while shaking on the inside and we're very insecure. That's 100% true. That big sigh my wife just asked about while we were watching the nightly news? Nothing profound. Nothing bugging me. I just remembered to breathe. I sigh a lot and you ask me about it. I do. And usually it's for no particular reason. Because you have a million things going on in your head. And so sometimes I would just like to be privy to that information. But I don't, I'm not thinking about anything in particular. It just all of a sudden occurs to me that, oh gosh. And then you're like, what? And I'm like, nothing. Because really there was nothing. Mm. We have an entire language around the head nod. Um, I guess so. We don't want to tell you certain things are worrying us because we do not want you to worry too. Now there are just two people worrying. Whereas before, one was worrying and the other was happy, which is a reminder to us not to worry so much. True. We pick the urinal we pee in carefully. Okay. So we walk into a bathroom and there's 900 urinals. Mm-hmm. Immediately, we are assessing the room and very quickly in a split second, we choose a urinal and head for it. Makes sense. Yeah. I think women do that with stalls. Probably. I have certain stalls that I like to go to. You'll find communicating with guys is a lot easier if you just are direct and open about what you want. And you don't cry, yeah, which no is crying. really hard not to cry. That's what I get frustrated about is if I'm dealing with, especially dealing with men, is that I get angry or I get hurt and I cry and it drives me bonkers because it makes me feel like I'm weak. But guys, once you start crying, it completely throws us off, which is why women manipulate men with crying. But I hate that because I don't want the men that I deal with to think that I'm trying to manipulate them when I'm really just trying to have a serious conversation and get to some sort of resolution. But even if you're not trying to manipulate us, once you start crying, it just switches something in our head and we can no longer process what we're doing the same way. Because now we have to deal with making you stop crying. I still hate it, though. Yeah. No, I'm not going to the gym to hit on women or get into shape to be attractive to other women. I'm just tired of almost passing out every time I bend over to tie my shoes. <laughs> that is pretty much true. I don't care how bad my day is. I don't care how much of the big and quiet type I come across as I don't care who's around. The second a cute animal comes within eyesight, it's getting the baby voice. <laughs> That's you. That's you 100%. That's a good point. There's something about little animals. I like little animals. You like big animals. Our dog is a big ass dog and you walk in the door and you're like hello beautiful oh and i'm like hey right here hey i'm over here see this one right topless, here topless and you are all over the dog with the dog <laughs> we take a step to the side to unstick our balls i knew that yeah absolutely knew they that. get in places we don't want them they have a mind of and their it'll own throw you off for the rest of the walk the day, whatever. So you're like, ah, hold on, fix it. <laughs> I like being childish. And if I trust you enough, I will be childish around you. <laughs> I always forget things, but I really try to remember them. We have days where we want to be left alone with peace and quiet. That's like a universal thing, though. 
guys are childish. We're very childish, but then we want to feel safe in being childish around you. So if we trust you, then we'll be childish. If it looks like I'm ignoring you, I'm probably just so deep in thought that I forgot I actually exist. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible to just sit and think of literally nothing. Don't ask us what are you thinking more than once. I envy that about Mm -hmm. men. Took me years to learn when my wife is telling me her problems. It's not always because she wants me to fix them. She literally just wants me to listen and acknowledge that her problems exist. 100%. It took her years to learn that when she tells me her problems, I am instinctively working out a resolution, which is 100% true. I listen, I acknowledge, and then I ask if there's anything I can do. If not, I stay out of it. That is brilliant advice for men. I think we had a marriage counselor that said that exact thing to us. And then part of the resolution was saying, I don't want you to fix this. I just want to tell you what happened. And then you as a male in some sort of discussion, you say, are you asking for my opinion or asking how I would fix this? Or are you just telling me? Right. And that was a huge shift in a relationship. It is very difficult for me because I am a bit of a problem solver. Just naturally, I like to fix problems. Mm -hmm. So when you start telling me something, all I'm thinking about is how to fix it, which just makes the problem worse because you don't really want me to fix it usually. No, because I already know how I'm going to fix it. I just want you to be a sounding board. It's just hard to unwire myself from doing something that comes naturally. And most women are smart enough to figure out how to solve their own problems. Yeah. We just take more of an emotional avenue, whereas men go a little more on the practical side. Mm -hmm. But then we eventually get to the practical side once our emotions have subsided. I can't relate to this for a really, really long time. But it says, when girls come over to a guy's place, the guy is usually cleaning up his place like the Tasmanian devil one to two hours before she comes over. That's a girl thing, too. That's a guy. I was going to say, I bet that's a girl thing, too. Girls are nasty, just like guys. Oh, We're yeah. nasty. I remember when my brother was in boot camp, I remember talking to his drill instructor, and he said that actually the boys' dorms are way cleaner and smell better than the girls' dorms, that girls were messier than boys. Yeah. I always thought that was really interesting, because you always think it's the other way around. Whatever imperfections you have that you're insecure about, we either didn't notice, don't care if we notice, or we find it really attractive about you. Yes. Love that. I think women try to fix themselves up for other women more than men. Oh, yeah. Men care a lot, but they care that you're with them or around them, not that you're with them and look a certain way or sneeze weird or anything like that. Last one, that a lot of us are constantly debating internally whether or not to go talk to you, meaning a girl, I guess maybe for a guy, I don't know, and how to go about doing so. Yes, I want to go say hi and be confident, but also I don't want to be seen as a creep. Mm. There are a lot of guys who are examples of toxic masculinity and or creepiness, and I don't want to be one of them, 100%. Absolutely. Obviously, we've been married for a long time, so it doesn't really apply. I usually don't try and approach women anymore like that. 
But either way, I still don't want to come over and talk to them and then have them perceive me as being a creep. That's like right. the f- worst thing that could happen. To project enough confidence without being a jerk and yet to project enough gentleness, humility without being a wimpy simp. It's a balancing act. That's a guy's struggle for sure because we don't want to be like the stereotypical creeper. But then if we're not, then they're like, well, he's kind of a wimpy guy, you know. So it's like, oh, my God, which is it? You can't really (laughs) win. No, not really. Thank you. All right. I don't know if that helps or hurts. Why would it hurt? I don't know. I think it always helps. A little insight into the male species. I would do something similar for women, but that's like 12 hours long. We're very complicated. Even that was too much information for men. Well, thank you, honey. You're welcome. Daniel. Yes, sweet, loving, sexy wife, Melissa. Are you ready for my case? Yes, hurry up. This is the case of Charles and Nelda Chumbler. Oh, okay. In Paducah, Kentucky, on December 27, 1990, just after 4 p.m., a call came into the local emergency line. A woman, 52-year-old Nelda Chumbler, needed help. She had been shot by a deer hunter's stray bullet at a rural host at a rural horse farm. Say that five times fast. Do you want me to? No. So that you can make fun of me? Police and emergency personnel were immediately on the scene. They found Nelda lying in a pool of blood near a fence, and she was dead. Okay, hold on. What? Stray deer hunter's bullet at a horse farm, and she's dead. Yeah. In December. In December. All right. Okay. A single bullet from a high-velocity weapon, such as a hunting rifle, had entered her upper chest neck area. The property where Nelda had been shot was a wide-open horse farm owned by her husband's parents. But in the appeal records, it said that it was her husband's brother's horse farm. Not that that matters, but I did look at everything. I could see where that could be kind of... A gray area because maybe the brother bought it from his parents, right. sort of, kind of. And sometimes parents pass stuff off to their kids even while they're still alive. Like, hey, we don't want to take care of this anymore. How about you take over the property and we'll live in it? On the property was a barn and a shed. And that was it. Other than those two buildings, the property was wide open. How was Nelda shot and killed by a hunter's stray bullet? This is the question. Any hunter would have seen that there were people in that area. Plus, it wasn't hunting season. Nope. Not in December. No. If someone was out there shooting, they were doing it illegally. But nobody's going to do that. You're not dumb enough as a hunter to do that. Well, people poach, meaning they're hunting illegally all the time, especially in rural areas. But generally, no, people wouldn't be that stupid. I would hope. And in an open area, because usually when you're going deer hunting, it's in the forest because that's where the deer are, right? Yeah, they're not going to be right there next to you, wild deer, I wouldn't think, unless you're feeding them. 
There were two witnesses to Nelda's untimely death. Her husband of almost three years, 52-year-old Charles Chumbler, and his four-year-old grandson. Charles told the investigators that he and Nelda had been staying a mile down the road at his family's home. The couple had traveled to Kentucky from Florida to celebrate the Christmas season with Charles' family. Earlier that day, Charles had suggested that he and Nelda, along with his grandson, drive down to the property about a mile away from the home to feed the horses some apples. Nelda was excited. She had been wanting some alone time with Charles. But they're taking the grandkids, so that's not really alone time. Mm -mm. But Around 4 p.m., they arrived with a four-year-old and apples in tow. It was 34 degrees and sleeting. Lovely. Great day to go feed horses. Actually, it would be kind of fun. You walk out there all bundled up because the horses are just standing there. They don't know what to do. They're freezing cold. That sounds miserable to me. I'm not that much fun. Which part? Giving the apples to the horses? No, that sounds amazing. But being all bundled up and cold and going outside. No, then you come back and you sit in front of a roaring fire. Drink hot toddies. Yeah. You know, I had a friend who lost the tip of her finger feeding a horse an apple. Didn't they teach her how to do it? Probably, but she just, right. Curve your fingers back a little bit. I'm sure she knew the proper way to do it, but she was a little kid, so it just bit her finger off. Is she a horse person now? I don't know. I haven't talked to her in like 25 (laughs) years. PTSD (laughs) over it. Nelda walked ahead of Charles and the young boy. As they lagged behind, Nelda made it to the fence, apple in hand. All of a sudden, Charles heard a gunshot ring out. He grabbed his grandson and pulled him to the ground. After a few seconds, Charles poked his head up and looked in the direction of where Nelda was standing. Only she wasn't there. Charles stood and moved in closer. Then he saw her with blood coming out of her upper chest, and Nelda was lifeless. Charles left her body there, and he and his grandson raced back to the home a mile away, shouting that Nelda had been shot and to call 911. To investigators, Charles seemed cold and distant when talking about his wife. It was weird and unsettling. There did not seem to be any remorse or even tears. When asked about his unusual behavior, Charles told them that he was, quote-unquote, dry. That's kind of weird after three years of marriage only. Usually you don't start to become dry until 17 years of marriage. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that seems off. I don't care who he is. That's off to me. Dry in all sorts of different areas. Well, no, I mean in like reaction, <laughs> you know, like, hey, your um, your wife was shot, and I'm like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. all right, it's about mm-hmm. that time, so it was, was her time to go. She was starting to go downhill anyway. Charles left the investigators with an unsettling feeling. They decided to run a background check on him. When the results came back, investigators were shocked. Nelda's death went from an accidental death to a possible murder investigation. Why? Dun, dun, dun. Nelda and Charles met in 1986 at Van Buren Junior High School in Tampa, Florida. 
Nelda had taught for almost 20 years and was the head of the science department, and Charles was a substitute English teacher. He eventually was hired on full-time, but he started off as a substitute. Okay, that's fine. Nelda was a widow. Her husband of 18 years had passed away from melanoma in 1984. Nelda had been his rock and had supported him through his battle for almost 10 years. She was right by his side till the very end. When he died, Nelda became a single mom to two high school children. Oh, gosh. And left to wonder if she would ever find love again. Charles had moved to Tampa from Paducah, Kentucky after a recent and painful divorce. He needed a new start in a new town. Meeting Charles gave Nelda some hope. Charles was charming and good with words. He had a lovely and smooth southern drawl. And Nelda was lonely, so he swept her right off her feet. Charles was social and an extrovert, while Nelda was more quiet and introverted. Opposites definitely attract, and sparks flew. Soon, the two were dating, and everyone around Nelda was excited for her. She seemed happy and soon was in love. Charles was attentive and affectionate, All the things that Nelda needed at that time. She became alive again. And in the fall of 1987, Charles asked Nelda to marry him, and she accepted. The couple were married on November 20th of that same year. And for the next two years, Charles and Nelda lived in their little love bubble. But soon their life changed drastically. Are you ready for this? I am. I'm waiting for the punchline here. One day, a young man arrived at the couple's front door. It was 24-year-old Michael Kyriakis from Kentucky. I knew it. I wonder when I was beginning to wonder when the hell he would show up. He told Charles and Nelda that he was Charles' long-lost son. There it is. A product of a brief illicit affair that Charles had had during his first marriage. Charles seemed shocked. He told Nelda that he never knew Michael existed. Both he and Nelda accepted Michael into their family with open arms. Michael had another shocking admission. He had cancer. And with Nelda's past, she felt obligated to help Michael any way that she could. Emotionally, physically, and financially. Okay, so hold on. Okay. (laughs) So out of the blue... 24-year-old Michael just knocks on the door, right? Right. Doesn't call, nothing, no right. Mm-hmm. Says, hey, remember that chick you nailed that you cheated on mom with? Yeah, I'm a result of that. Oh, and I have cancer and I have no money. Can you guys help me out? <laughs> Am I putting that together correctly? You're absolutely 100% correct. Huh. All right. And a few articles that I read said that he was 24... Other articles said 25, 26. I honestly don't know how old this man is, but he's somewhere in his early to mid-20s. So he's a grown-ass man. He's a grown-ass man with no money. No money. Knocks on the door, says, hey, you made me a long time ago, and I have cancer. Yes. Nelda was able to acquire an apartment for Michael right down the street from their home. 
And Charles began spending as much time with Michael as he could. They became inseparable, leaving Nelda feeling lonely and footing the bills for Michael. See how quickly this changed? Can I ask you a quick question? Yes, please. If you were to transport us into this situation, dude comes to our door and says, Hey, uh, Daniel cheated on my mom a long time ago and made me mm-hmm. and I have cancer and I'm in my mid-20s. Can you guys take care of me now forever and I don't want to have to do anything? I, I assume is he going through like cancer treatments? That's what he said. Okay. And he can't work even though he's going through cancer treatments like he's incapacitated? He was supposed to be really sick. Okay. How would you react to that? I'd say, hello, nice to meet you, but we're going to need to do a DNA profile on you. Hell yeah, you are. (laughs) And why not? Why wouldn't you do that? You're just going to take some kid's word? No. First, you turn and look at me and go, uh, did you have an affair a long time ago with somebody and... (laughs) Not tell me? Not tell me or anyone else and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, maybe? (laughs) Well, within a few months, family, friends, and even Nelda began to notice that Michael did not appear sick. He didn't seem like a man dying from cancer. He actually seemed very healthy, besides the constant cigarette smoking. Oh, no, 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 no. You have cancer? Why are you smoking cigarettes? I'm, I'm sorry. It's all I can do to work and us work and pay all the bills. I'm not footing more bills for someone who's going to chain smoke and allegedly has cancer. Plus, I'd be going to the doctor and be like, tell me exactly what's wrong with him. Yeah. He's a grown-ass man. Even yeah. if it was our son and he said, hey, I'm not going to work anymore. <sighs> I'm just going to move home with you guys. But I'm going to smoke. But, dude, can't help you. Nelda's family also described Michael as a little strange. He liked to wear a long black trench coat in the middle of the summer. What? In Florida. Oh, he's weird. He also seemed a little flamboyant and told different stories about his life to multiple people. He couldn't keep his lies straight. Some people he told that he was a military officer. Some others he told that he was a private investigator. Some were told that he was a member of the Greek Mafia. Oh, that's it right there. I knew it. His last name was Kyriakis. So, of course, he's Greek, right? Yeah, but but he said his last name. Right. But he he said Charles was his dad. So, A flamboyant guy in Florida wearing a black trench coat that can't keep his lies straight, that smokes. (laughs) Are you picturing this now? Yeah, I just can't picture having him in my home. He's tall, skinny, dark hair, mustache, mustachioed gentleman. Okay. After a few months, Michael wore out his welcome with Nelda. Her perfect marriage was no longer a happy and loving one, and her bank account was being rapidly depleted by Charles and Michael. Nelda finally told Charles that it was time to cut off Michael and to ease up on their relationship with him. I have an idea what's happening. I figured that you would, but just wait a second. Yeah, it finally occurred to me. 
because I was thinking something else, and then all of a sudden it <laughs> occurred to me what's actually happening. So now I got it. Charles was furious. He said that Michael was his son and that he would not abandon him. Soon after, Charles disappeared mm-hmm, with Michael. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just up and left. Mm-hmm. In response to Charles' abandonment of the marriage, Nelda began revising her will. Uh oh. Somehow that got back to Charles, and within days, he was back in Nelda's home, telling Nelda that he had cut Michael out of his life and was ready to devote his undivided attention to Nelda once more. Nelda took him back, and they began their next chapter, <sighs> minus Michael. Oh. God, Nelda, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, Nelda. You're supposed to see the signs. Mm, Red flag, one, two, three, four, five. On the mantle of the fireplace. (laughs) That year for Christmas, Charles told Nelda that he wanted to take her to Paducah to spend the holidays with his family. No kids, just them. The couple left Florida a few days before Christmas, armed with presents and yuletide spirit. But only two days after celebrating the birth of Jesus, Nelda was dead. Well, that's kind of sad now that you put it that way. I know. I got to add the drama, right? I know I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger, but I'm going to tell you what was found when investigators did a background check on Charles Chumbler. He had an outstanding warrant for burglary in Kentucky. Attached to his warrant was someone else's warrant, Mm -hmm. Michael Kyriakis. They had been charged with the same break-in. And the victim? It was Michael's elderly mother. In April of 1988, only five months after Charles had married Nelda, These two broke into Michael's mother's home and stole her furniture. Oh, they deserve to burn in hell. (laughs) Who the hell does that? These two a-holes. Investigators needed to prove that the shot that killed Nelda was intentional. A few days after she died, police were back on the scene. They had a hunch that if someone had intentionally shot Nelda, they would have been lying in wait in either the barn or the shed, since those were the only two outbuildings in that space. Uh-huh. The trajectory of the single bullet was traced back to the shed, which was only 50 feet away from where Nelda was shot. There was an opening in the door where the barrel of a rifle could have fit through. And lying on the ground in the shed were fresh cigarette butts, a pile of them. So whoever had killed Nelda must have been waiting in that shed for a while. Those butts were collected as evidence. There had to be more to the story. And there was. Oh, I bet there's a tremendous amount more to the story. Investigators traveled to Florida to talk to Nelda's family and friends. They all said the same thing. They believed that Charles had been using Nelda, possibly for her savings, and that the relationship between Charles and Michael was strange. They did not believe that they were father and son. They believed they were more like lovers. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Charles and Michael had swindled Nelda out of over $100,000. 
and the only thing left was a $35,000 life insurance policy that would double if Nelda had died in an accident. And Charles was the beneficiary of that life insurance policy and her retirement benefits. Wow. Investigators were able to get a search warrant for Michael's apartment in Florida. They found a receipt from a local motel called the Thrifty Inn, located in Paducah, Kentucky. I bet that is a really nice place. I bet it is, too. Anything called Thrifty? (laughs) Michael had checked in at 1.27 p.m. on December 27th under the name Michael Kyriakis. But Kyriakis was spelt with a Y and not an I. So it was K-Y-R-A-K-I-S. Okay. The same day that Nelda was killed. And he checked out of that thrifty motel the very next day and drove back to Florida. Also found was a business card from a local Tampa gun dealer. They phoned this gun dealer and he said that Michael had purchased a custom-built, unregistered 270 caliber rifle with a scope from him in an Albertson's parking lot on December 26th around 3.30 p.m., telling the gun dealer that he was headed to Kentucky to go deer hunting. So a gun dealer sold a stranger an unregistered 270? Yes. That's weird. I know. And a little stupid, in my opinion. And wouldn't this gun dealer know that it's not deer season at that time? Yeah. Yeah. So I think he just wanted the money. He's a crooked dealer. Yes. Because if he's a true gun dealer, first of all, you wouldn't do that. And secondly, a lot of red flags should be going up. Why does a guy want an unregistered gun? Especially quickly. Well, guess what else they found in that apartment? What? A wife. Michael had a wife named Holly. What the? (laughs) He has a wife? Yeah. The trench coat cigarette guy has a wife? Yeah, he had a wife. All right, I didn't see that coming. She had met Michael in 1988, and they were married in April of 1989. Holly had met Charles two months after she had married Michael. The couple then moved to Florida to be near Michael's special friend in 1990. Now, she didn't think that they were lovers. She thought they were just very good friends, that Charles was more of a foster father to Michael. Um, okay. Yes. And just to kind of give you an overall perspective of this woman, she carried a teddy bear from her childhood everywhere she went. Okay, that explains a lot. Even to work. Okay. Everywhere she went, she carried a teddy bear. I don't mean to sound mean, but that categorizes her pretty well. That's why I needed to say that. Yeah. Is that I think she was living in a world that did not include Michael having more of a relationship with Charles. Yeah. That everybody else was kind of seeing. She's very naive. Very naive. That's Uh a great word. Yes. Holly admitted to being present when Michael bought the rifle but said that he had purchased it for Charles to give to his daughter as a Christmas present and that she had gone to Paducah with Michael but never admitted to knowing of or being part of the conspiracy to murder Nelda. And this rifle has never been found. Okay. So it's all hearsay 
Yes, and circumstantial. Obviously, somehow they got a hold of the gun dealer, or that was just his words? No, that was a gun dealer. Okay, so someone came forward and said, I'm the yes. dumbass that sold this jackass mm. an unregistered, untraceable gun? Right. Uh, at least he was honest, I guess, right? Because he could face a whole host of charges for oh, doing and he that. Did. Because he contributed. He did. He got in trouble. Yeah, because he helped contribute to a murder unknowingly helped contribute to a murder but knowingly breaking laws by doing that yes so yeah looking further into charles and michael's special friendship investigators learned that charles had actually met michael in 1979 when he was just 16 years old charles owned a tobacco farm in kentucky and michael had worked for him stripping tobacco leaves According to people who knew them, including Charles' first wife, their relationship went beyond just friendship. It was romantic. But this was all just speculation, okay? This is just people talking. Plus, Charles was at least 25 years older than Michael. So he's a grown-ass man possibly having a relationship with a 16-year-old. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that is not okay. Two weeks after Nelda's death, Charles and Michael, plus Holly, were arrested for the murder of Nelda Chumbler. Eventually, Michael was charged with the actual murder of Nelda. He was the one who pulled the trigger. And Charles and Holly were charged with complicity to murder. All three pled not guilty. And in October of 1991, in Livingston County, Kentucky, their joint trial began so they didn't have separate trials these three fools were all together all three defendants testified and denied responsibility claiming that nelda died from a tragic hunting accident the trial lasted 18 days and michael's mom took the stand for the prosecution and she said that in the summer of 1987 Charles and Michael had told her that they met a lady who was a school teacher. Charles was going to marry her, and then they planned to kill her. Then Michael's mother said on the stand, quote unquote, if you want the word they used, they was going to waste her. She heard them do all this or say all this. She did. Um, And she didn't call the police. She didn't do anything. Okay. And then they robbed her. Okay, yeah, so this uh, is the elderly elderly woman that was then robbed. Yes. So she knew she had a crazy son who had serious issues and was romantically involved with a very much older man. Possibly romantically Possibly. involved. I mean, Allegedly. Yeah, because, yeah. They okay. never admitted to having a relationship. Okay. Both of them. Those cigarette butts found in the shed were tested. They had been smoked by a type A secretor. Michael was a type A secretor. Also, the butts were narrowed down to 12 brands of cigarettes. And one of those brands were the brand that Michael smoked on a regular basis. So there was more than 12 brands of cigarettes. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. Oh, gosh, yeah. There were used to be probably a whole bunch 
In the end, it took the jury two hours and 40 minutes to find 53-year-old Charles, 28-year-old Michael, and 27-year-old Holly guilty of their charges. Charles Chumbler and Michael Kyriakis were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole for 25 years. Holly Kyriakis was sentenced to life with no chance of parole for 12 years. Wow. But I have an insane update. Holly Kyriakis was released from prison in 1996 after entering an Alford plea to facilitation to murder on appeal. What is an Alford plea to facilitation to murder? I'll tell you in just a second. Oh, good. Okay. So she was only in prison for five years. Charles Chumbler was also released from prison in 2003 after he too entered an Alford plea to complicity to murder and then was paroled. In 1996, Michael entered an Alford plea to complicity to murder, but was not released until June of 2008 after serving 25 years. So they all got out. They all got out. An Alford plea acknowledges that the state has evidence that could lead to conviction, but allows the accused to not admit guilt. In an interview after his release, Michael said, quote unquote, I am guilty and deserved to serve time, but I wasn't guilty of doing the shooting. I was guilty of providing the gun that was used to kill her. I also have read that Charles signed an affidavit stating that he was the one who fired the gun. But prosecutors stated that they think that Charles was coerced by Michael to make that statement because he was already out of prison when he said that. I'm kind of surprised. Of course, this was a little while back. I'm surprised attorney didn't bring forward the angle that Charles was grooming Michael. They did. Oh, they did. Okay. They did. Okay. That was a big part of the case was most people who got on that stand talked about those two being lovers, but it was never proven true. And Michael and Charles never admitted to having a relationship or a sexual relationship. So that was the basis of most of their appeals mm. were the hearsay of their relationship. Okay. All right, fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? Yeah. Michael's real name was Michael Hale. He changed his last name to Kyriakis after a character from the soap opera Days of Our Lives. This character was named Victor Kyriakis. The character was played by John Aniston, who was the father of Jennifer Aniston. He played this particular character from 1985 till John's death in 2022. My grandma loved Days of Our Lives. I had no idea Days of Our Lives has been on the air that long. Oh, it's been on longer. It's still on the air. The lady that does my nails plays Days of Our Lives when I'm getting my nails done so I can catch up on the story. That does not surprise me at all. (laughs) (laughs) I could totally see a nail salon playing Days of Our Lives. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I used to watch it. During every break from school, summer break, like it was my grandma's story and her friends were from Days of Our Lives. So when I see like Days of Our Lives on a couple of the screens, like at the gym, Mm -hmm. I just assume those are reruns. No, it's still going. 
Holy crap. And a lot of the same people are still playing the same characters that I remember growing up in General Hospital and One Life to Live and all those kind of Wouldn't you say the soap, soap, operas. soap operas are all like kind of beautiful people? Yes, and they have that kind of... Um, it's a weird kind of filming. Yes, um, it's almost like they put cheesecloth over the the camera, the lens. It's so that you don't see all the wrinkles. Yeah, they all look amazing. Yeah. They must spend a ton on skincare and Botox and fillers. No, they just have an S load of makeup on. <laughs> they have pancake makeup on. <laughs> well, Daniel, what did you think of my case? <sighs> all of the red flags are just amazing to me. Filled with a million red flags. And poor Nelda. And like you say, she wanted to believe. Yeah. She wanted to believe that this was the next chapter of the rest of her life. One thing that I did not get out of this. Okay. Was how did they come up with enough evidence to charge Holly with murder as well? Because she was there when he bought the gun. And she was there in Paducah when the gun was in Paducah. But she carried around a teddy bear. I know. But that's also complicity to commit murder. So she was there when it was happening and she didn't stop it. But she believed that. But they believe that she had some sort of knowledge of what was going to happen and didn't stop it. Okay. I'm I'm just surprised they went forward with charging her. And obviously it worked because they successfully charged her, even though they all got off. Sort of, kind of. Right. I mean, she served five years. But if she would have been tried on her own, she probably wouldn't have been convicted. But because she was kind of roped into their trial and their relationship and all of these red flags with money and all this kind of stuff, I think she was just kind of pulled into it. I wonder if the prosecution tried to offer some sort of a deal to rat out the other two. You know what I mean? Like right. went to one and said, look, this is what we're going to charge you with. Why don't you tell us the truth and tell us, you know, essentially turn in the, one of the other ones. You would think that they would have, yeah. and they probably did, but I never read that. I didn't read that in any of the appeal records, any of the articles. Hmm. Nothing I found had anything about what Holly knew. And I think she just kept saying that she didn't know what was going to happen. Hmm. She probably didn't want to know. Probably not. She just wanted to carry around her teddy bear. Hmm. Sad, right? It is very sad. Ugh. Nelda's two children and just so sad. They lost their dad to cancer and then finally their mom's happy again and then marries this guy who all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this isn't okay. So and, then some, she, and then she dies. So at some point, when she met Charles, she said, I have a lot of cash saved up. Would you like to date me? You know what I mean? Like, how did he know? So obviously, she was not very careful in hiding her financial situation from him. Well, because they were going to get married. And so are you going to hide your financial situation from somebody that you're going to marry? No, but it was very quick. I mean, it was a year. They dated for a year and then got engaged and then got married right away. I bet he knew her financial situation within three days. 
Probably. And he told her that he was just coming off of a divorce. Yeah. So he probably said, look, I don't have any money. I have nothing to give you because I just divorced my wife and I just moved here from another state. Yeah. And, and she, goes, she was oh. like, it's okay. I, I have enough for both of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that happening. Well, my sources for this case were a ton of articles. I did find a couple appeal records and there was a show called Deadly Affairs, which really played into the theory that Charles and Michael were lovers. Oh, I bet. Like heavily played into that. Yeah. And if you want to laugh, go listen to Sarah and Megan at It's Always the Husband podcast because <laughs> they did this episode of Deadly Affairs and it was hilarious. It was really, really funny. So go check them out. Yeah, they are pretty funny. (laughs) They're one of those that I could binge and then go back through and binge again and then go back through and binge again. I highly recommend this podcast, especially this episode. Yeah, I bet they really delved into the Charles and Michael thing. Oh, it was really funny. (laughs) See, I'm thinking about it and I'm laughing. So, you know, it was good. If you are enjoying our episodes, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or at Spotify. Or however you listen. But I assume it's one of those two. We're also on Instagram at Till Death Do Us Part Podcast. So, Daniel, we good? Do you have any more questions? Are we good? I think we're good. All right. Now it's time to go pack for our cruise. Mm-hmm. Be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. It is. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.